go, and then afterwards we're going to continue it with a, a Rogue One conversation. Oh, fantastic. But we, we want to save it for the very end, so if people don't want to be spoiled by it, they can uh, yes. listen to the whole show and then just stop and come back later after they've seen it. Of course. Well, you know, I've seen it twice, and I plan to see As it. As have I. I've seen it. Best. I've seen it twice. I'm seeing it a third time tomorrow, and we'll probably see it a fourth and fifth time over the next week. So nice. All right, here we go. this episode of geek out loud we're doing some passing of the corn for the month of december and not only that i promise you more rogue one talk and it's happening all with me air sure and a new friend of the Gulliverse on your safe place to geek out and welcome to Geek Out Loud. My name is Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you. And I'm going to waste no time in bringing in my brother from another mother. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from up the coast from where I is, Eric Schoenweiss. What's up, my brother? Happy holidays! <laughs> and to all a good night. Not yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. Not yet. <laughs> and God bless us, everyone. They gotta pass the corn with us first, then they can go off and have their good day. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And How are you, my brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and uh, I'm I'm still. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm on a Star Wars high right now. It's, I love it. It's the Star Wars it. high I was hoping to catch last year, and man, it it's caught me this year. So I love it yes i was so depressed because you didn't like star wars anymore now listen year, that's so not how no no that's back on the bandwagon. that's not how it worked that's not how it worked get it right so uh but we are we're we're honored to have with us another guest and uh there's no sense in uh, there's no sense in dragging around uh ladies and gentlemen he is the deputy culture editor at bbc.com and uh that right there is impressive enough yeah i don't know all of a sudden we're just he might be too classy for us anyone's too classy for me what are you talking about we're so glad to welcome to geek out loud in a pass the corn episode christian blavelt did i say that right christian you sure did gentlemen i'm so happy to be here oh man greetings yes well it is it's good to have you i right out of the gate i've got to ask you this question please what is a what is a culture editor so it's sort of like an entertainment editor, but casting even a wider net. So I cover film, TV, music, books, but also the visual arts, 
a little bit of fashion, a little bit of design. Uh, we cover a little bit of everything on bbc.com slash culture. So we've, we've been around now for three and a half years, mm-hmm. and uh, we... You know, our audience keeps growing all the time. We now have almost 1.2 million Facebook followers on the BBC Culture Facebook page. And, yeah, it's great. Mostly we live online, but we uh, do a little bit in TV as well on BBC World News TV. So, yeah, it's cool. It's a job that keeps me busy. I will say that. Well, I got to tell you, when when I hear BBC, and most of my audience hears BBC, we... (laughs) I know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> we we jump into the TARDIS, my friend, and yes. there I I actually got into Doctor Who because of this show. When I first started this show some eight years ago, people started emailing and saying, well, "What do you think of Doctor Who? What do you think of Doctor Who?" And I'm like, "I've never really watched it." And before I know it, I'm getting immersed in in that world and learning to love it. And uh, and so that's my that's what I know BBC as. And of course, BBC America on television seems to be playing Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, on twenty-four hour loops. These it's days. really like my favorite thing because so we have BBC America on in the office all day, of course, and so it's just because I'm a huge Trekkie as well as a Star Wars fan, uh, and as as well as a Doctor Who fan, of course. Uh, I, I just love seeing like just looking over, and it seems like it's always like season one that's playing. Oh my, the <laughs> worst like, of them. Yeah, exactly. It's like just always seeing like these incre- just out of context these incredibly trippy images <laughs> of the, those early seasons. It's it's priceless. But you know, we gotta have see. We gotta have you come up to the BBC Worldwide office in New York sometime because we have a real TARDIS in our office. Wow! Now, this TARDIS was on the set of the Matt Smith Doctor Who. Oh, that's very it's cool. A real thing. It lights up. Actually, we bring it to New York Comic Con uh, and San Diego Comic Con a lot of times for our BBC America booth there. So, you know, nice. if you want to go on an adventure in time and space, it's all you. yours. Uh, is it bigger on the inside than it is the outside? Uh, well, you'll just have to find oh, out. Okay, all right. The, that is a definitive yes, ladies and gentlemen. The technology <laughs> is real. It exists. <laughs> I'm glad we finally got something to get Steve up to New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a big no man a lot of times, Christian. I'm always I always I'm like Luke in Empire Strikes Back. There's always with me what can't be done, and. Uh, and those, and I just, I just can't believe it's a phone booth that's going to be the thing those, that does it. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> it's uh, it's not a phone booth as much as it's a police box. Irish is what it is. Oh, and, apologies. Uh, yeah, Superman changes in a phone booth. So, which never made sense to me, but we won't get into that too much. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, Christian, you said you're a Trekkie as much as you are a Star Wars fan. How much in your lifetime have you immersed yourself in the geek culture side of things? Do you, you wanted to come into the Avengers theme, so I'm assuming you've enjoyed what Marvel Studios have been doing. It's true. It's true. And thank you. I've always wanted to be introduced by the Avengers theme. Mm-hmm. And I, even like a, a couple of years ago, I was, I was planning this. Uh, I was going to be giving a talk at my high school like for like a 10-year reunion thing. And, and, and they were actually like, well, do you, do you want to put like a, a, together like a clip of different TV appearances that you made in the past. I was like, okay, sure. And, I was like, and they were like, do you want to put any music against it? And uh, I ultimately held back because, uh, you know, I, just, I wanted to be, you know, all cool and, and sedate. But uh, part of me was like, oh, I want to have the Avengers theme in my hand. So thank you for, for scratching that itch. That, that was pretty awesome. Uh, of course. Well, here's the thing. Once you're on the show once, 
you become a friend of the show that is expected to be on anytime you want to. Oh, and, okay. and that has now been locked in as your intro theme. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I've been involved in geek culture for quite a while now. And really, so before working for the BBC, I was at Entertainment Weekly for four and a half years. And while I was there, I was like the resident Clone Wars expert. And yeah, I recapped the show every every week. I would basically like spend the whole weekend just recapping the show and like writing really, really long deep dive analyses. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I got, you know, definitely the Star Wars fan community was my, was my entry point. Um, but I've, uh, you know, I definitely have fans in the, the Star Trek community as well. And, uh, it's just great. You know, I love geekdom because everybody's so positive and it's about like genuine passion and enthusiasm for all of these things that we love. It's like, we, we don't feel like we need to hide our, our love for these things. And I think it's really great. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. The reason I started Geek Out Loud is because most people I saw in geek culture tended to skew on the negative side a little bit. And, Interesting. <laughs> and my whole thing was I was tired of hearing people because I'm a prequel lover. I'm an original trilogy kid, but I'm a Star Wars prequel lover. As am I. And um, and in watching, and, and, and it was something as simple as like, uh, I believe it was, honestly, the catalyst was X-Men 3. Um, which I recognize as not being the greatest movie, and I recognize the flaws and problems there. Yeah. But I really, uh, I really thought, well, it's a good movie. It's a good comic book movie. If I was given something like this as a kid, you know, uh, it's better than Batman and Robin. And um, and 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 everyone was just trashing everything about. It. I'm like, I'm so tired of not being able to find anyone who can just talk about accentuate the positive. And so I started a blog, which transferred into this podcast. And, um, and, and I always say it's your safe place to geek out because I enjoy, you know, fun discussion, even, even when there's disagreement. I enjoy disagreeing and having the discussion without it breaking down into, well, you don't like what I like, so you're a moron, you know? Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and that tends to be the, uh, the online situation, but I'm glad you've had a positive experience with the old geeks out there. I have. And, and maybe it's just that I've, I've been lucky, um, Certainly, you know, working for Entertainment Weekly, I mean, I would, I would get some negative response from our readers every now and then. I mean, there were definitely those who were like, "Why are you writing, you know, four thousand words on the Clone Wars every week? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is just like a prequel show and everything." And I was like, "You're crazy. The show is amazing. You got to give it a chance." Oh, it was, but, it was amazing. And the deeper they went into that series, the more amazing it became. Yes, it, it's so true. It, to, to know where it started with the movie release. And, and the movie release was fun, and it was you knew that you were now in new Star Wars territory. To know where we end up on that final you know, Lost Missions season that, that was released to Netflix, you know, with Yoda going to learn the secret of immortality, for crying out loud, you, it's just places I would have never dreamed as a Star Wars fan to get to go. It's so true. Yeah. I, I mean, just how much it adds to the canon is, is really incredible. But I love the prequels in general. Actually, I put together this uh, poll, this film critics poll over the summer that got a lot of attention. It was to determine the 100 greatest films of the 21st century, just films made since 2000. Wow. And uh, so we had 177 film critics from all over the world, 36 countries represented. And on my own ballot... At number five, I did put Revenge of the Sith. Of course you did, yeah. 
adore that movie. Yes, it and, is. Uh, it, yeah. It's it's I, listen. I love Star Wars, and we can talk about it all night. And in fact, we will be talking Star Wars later on in the show, after we've passed the corn, after we've gone through the show proper. At the end of the show, uh, we're going to wrap up and everything, and then we're going to swing back around. We're going to do it old school Starkville House of L style, ladies and gentlemen. The listeners know what I'm talking about there. Where uh, for those of you who may not have had an opportunity to see the movie yet, so that you won't be spoiled and you can still enjoy the past the corn discussion. We're going to do Rogue One talk at the end, and um, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting in this thing with you guys and 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 really breaking it down. Before we pass the corn, we've got to give a shout out to this week's featured supporter through Patreon.com/slash/GeekOutLoud. It is uh, Scott Carmichael, who's a special effects wizard who, after tiring of the crime in a city, turned his skill into the superhero game, striking fear in the hearts of the wicked. With full-scale models, makeup tricks, and a few moves he picked up on set with Bruce Lee. Scott Carmichael is our featured supporter. You can be a featured supporter and receive a superpower by going over to patreon.com slash geekoutloud and supporting the Goliverse there. And we appreciate everyone's support who helps us out. Uh, you keep us going, keep us keep us chugging along, and, uh, and keep us moving on uh, as we go. So uh, if you guys are ready, we have one more theme to play. Uh, Arish, pass the corn, buddy. Pass the corn, Steve. Pass the corn. All right. On uh, now, Eris, you have you have grab these films that we're going to be talking about and you intentionally grabbed ones that are, is it fair to call them Oscar bait? I think so. Um, I think they certainly hope to be. Um, I, I think the idea this month was to, to a little bit different approach. Normally we look at the big, uh, you know, studio tentpole films that are getting released through the month. And, you know, if you're interested in descent, like we're recording on, Wednesday the 21st, so Assassin's Creed opened today. We all know Rogue One opened already. Sing is coming out. So those are your big studio pictures. But at this time of year, especially on the left and the right coast of the country, you start to get the, the smaller movies, the, the movies that are you know getting released to qualify for awards. And then you know, when we get into January and February, they start to get released uh, further around the country. And I just, I wanted to focus on these right now because these are the films that you're going to start seeing in the best of year lists. These are films that you're going to see nominated for Golden Globes or, you know, the, the SAG Awards or whatever. And with Christian on as our guest, he one has seen a lot of these films, if not all of the ones that we're going to talk about and is very knowledgeable about all of them. But I just thought it would be a little something different. These are the kind of films that for the Gulliver's and the geek out loud listeners, you know, you might have to work a little bit to find them. They might just be playing in like one little art house theater near you, but it, 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 in all likelihood, it's going to be worth the effort that you're going to put into finding them. Mm -hmm. So, I just thought it was a great opportunity to go through some of these. Well, let's let's do it and uh, and see what we got. First off, is one that actually I know has been getting a lot of play. I do a lot of Sling TV, and this trailer has been playing uh, on repeat during those commercial breaks and the shows that I watch on 
on there. Manchester by the Sea, starring Casey Affleck. Um, and uh, this is this is a New England guy who's, uh, after his brother dies, uh, he is left now to care for his nephew. And, um, and apparently he has a past. And he is, it's one of those you can't go home again kind of situations and a bit of a family drama. And I think there's already been some award talk, uh, Golden Globes, that sort of thing, Christian. Is that, is that, am I wrong on that? Oh, no, you are absolutely right. This is one of the leading uh, Oscar contenders, really, going into Academy Awards season. It was nominated for a whole bunch of Golden Globes. And, uh, you know, the, the Golden Globes are really the first of the major awards that uh, kind of kick off the season. It's going to be very early this year. It's January 8th. And so then after that, you've got like the Screen Actors Guild Awards and you've got other Guild Awards, Producers Guild, Directors Guild, Writers Guild, and uh, and then all kind of building up to the Oscars um, at the end of February. So this year it's a three-film race between Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and La La Land. And Manchester by the Sea is such a human, um, thoughtful really contemplative movie. I mean, it's so very much like about, it, it really taps into the rhythm of life itself. I feel like the interactions of the characters just feel so natural. And Casey Affleck's performance is just, you know, it's very understated, but it's so heartfelt. Mm -hmm. And this is a film that is, it's really sad. I have to say, so definitely brace yourself before you go see it. But um, it's ultimately worth it. If you know that you're, you're in for a really, like a five hanky experience, uh, definitely um, <laughs> uh, prepare yourself. But if, if you know that going in, I think you can really enjoy it. And the director here, Kenneth Lonergan, is really one of my favorites. He has only directed three films, but all, really all three have been incredible. His first was You Can Count on Me, which starred Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney. That came out in 2000. Really interesting uh, relationship study about the dynamics between a brother and sister. Then he spent years trying to make this movie called Margaret that was shot like around 2005, but actually didn't come out until around 2011. And that movie was my favorite film of 2011. Uh, it, it, it is such a sprawling epic about New York and um, and a young woman played by Anna Paquin who feels that she's responsible for a horrible tragedy. Um, and this film definitely deals Manchester by the Sea deals with tragedy as well. Um, you mentioned that Casey Affleck is uh, that he's that he has a checkered past. It's yes, it is haunting him, and he also is burdened by guilt and grief. And essentially, when his brother dies and he has to take care of his nephew, this is a chance for him to try to start over and build his life up from scratch um can he do it well you'll just have to watch the movie and see well and and interesting what you you mentioned that you know you're seeing ads for this all over the place and part of the reason is that it's got amazon behind it okay okay um this is this is one of their first big productions and also um Matt Damon and uh, John John Krasinski is one of the producers on this also, right, Christian? He is, yes. And Matt Damon himself, even though he's not in the movie, 
he is in the TV ads for this film, kind of like explaining, giving the pitch for like why you should see this movie, why you should care about it. He's like just sitting there, you know, wearing his. It, he's like just sitting there in a plaid shirt, like uh, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, it's about." group of you know new england guys who uh are trying to get through a tough time and it's kind of interesting like i can't really remember the last time that an actor who isn't in a film but is just a producer on a movie is actually trying to like give you the hard sell on why you should go see it that's a really interesting choice for their their marketing here but it seems to be working so far it's actually done really well in uh limited release and um also on kenneth lonergan Christian brought up the other two movies he's directed, but he also wrote um, "Analyze This," the uh, oh, wow. the Bob, Bobby De Niro and um, Billy Crystal movie from a few years ago. He wrote "Gangs of New York." He's got quite a long, pretty decent career as a screenwriter behind him as well. That's very true, and also as a playwright, he has had a number of plays um, on Broadway, off Broadway. Um, but yeah, I think primarily he's been, um, he, yeah, he's been known for his, his screenwriting work and also his work as a script doctor, like going in and, uh, trying to fix scripts that, that need a little punching up. He also is responsible for the travesty that was the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's yes. The- oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, we, we do have to acknowledge that. Now, but- did, did he get put in movie jail for that? <laughs> pretty you know pretty much i think that it it really contributed to that that movie and i, I don't know i just various issues with trying to get margaret made um kind of made him sort of persona non grata in hollywood for hmm. a while but it's you know but hollywood also has a short memory so now now he I've... also spent a good amount of time putting this one together oh yeah definitely uh, it's a really good movie. It's uh, you know again, it's not playing in that many theaters across the country, but I think as the award season continues, it will it will expand to more and more screens. I think the thing that's also interesting about about really most of the movies that we're going to be discussing here is that they, it really shows how important the festival circuit still is. Manchester by the Sea played at Sundance in January. That's where I first saw it. And uh, that's where it got picked up by Amazon, like Eric mentioned. It was almost like a $20 million pickup, which is unprecedented. Um, and uh, and then, you know, they've, they've continued to play it even after the sale at, at, like, it was at the Toronto Film Festival. And once again, Matt Damon was there introducing it, even though he's not in it. Um, it's It's been a very well-marketed film. And... You know, so it's going to be this three-movie race between Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and La La Land for for the Oscars for Best Picture. And I have to say, just you know, kind of like t- stepping back for a moment, taking the big picture view, I think this is just about the best uh, Oscar race that we're going to have in a long time. Like all mm. of these movies are really solid. Like a lot of times, like there's a movie or two, it's like I can't believe people are talking about this. You know, this movie is terrible, but actually all of these are really good. So I'm, I'm a happy man right now. And I think not just for the, the best picture race, but I think the acting categories, all of them are going to be very competitive. Yeah. Um, there's definitely going to be people that should have been nominated that weren't simply because you can only nominate so many. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really strong award season. Very, I'm very curious and very excited and very interested to see how this is all going to play out. 
No doubt. Yeah. Well, let's get into let's get into the next one that uh, was one of the three that you mentioned here. And that is Moonlight. <clears throat> Steve, did you want to talk a little bit about this for a moment? Well, or? sure. Yeah. The the trailers really. I I'll be honest with you. It's the it's the it, it's the life of a black gay youth named Chiron. I believe is how you pronounce his name. He grows up in a rough neighborhood in Miami. Uh, we see him as a ten year old. Um, we see, uh, him as a teenager and finally we see him in his twenties coming back to reconnect with everything in his past. Another one of these kind of, you can't go home again kind of movies. Um, a lot of great actors in this one. And, and, and I can't think of the guy's name, but, uh, basically the guy who played, uh, Copperhead in the I Luke Cage. just going to say that it, it, there's a funny thing as we go through a lot of these movies, there's a lot of actors. There's a lot of familiar faces from our more geek-centric stuff. Star yeah. Wars, Marvel movies, things like that, that that are going to be filling roles throughout a lot of these movies. So. Ma- Mahershala Ali is his name. And he, yeah. is, he is just a captivating individual to look at. And he, he, has, a, he has a presence on screen. Most and, definitely. And so, honestly, in watching this trailer... He was kind of who I kept waiting for to show back up throughout as as this trailer was going and trying to figure out what's going on because he seems like a nice dude. And there's one moment in the trailer where it's like, whoa, wait a second. He doesn't well, seem, he's not the he's greatest guy. The kind-hearted Cuban drug dealer. Oh, okay. All right. The kind-hearted Cuban drug dealer. That's the description on uh, Fandango. That's what he really is. It's it's an amazing thing because this is a movie that uh, takes a lot of stereotypes and really tries to um, sort of attack them head on or debunk them or show a different dimension to them. And so, you know, this this is a character who I'm sure does and has done terrible things, but he also does have it in his heart to be really nice to uh, to Chiron and. And help him out when his parents have essentially abandoned him. And I know that particular element is a little bit autobiographical for the director Barry Jenkins. Um, and and it's it's a really affecting sequence. You know, it's 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 a movie divided into three parts. Um, it's a different actor playing Chiron at each stage of his life. Um, Otherwise, it's, it reminds me a lot of Boyhood in a way because it is hmm. a film fundamentally about a coming of age and and how one uh, evolves and develops and deals with you know how and, and deals with his different idea you know these different ideas out there about masculinity and what it means to be a man and um, it's 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 a really good film no doubt about it it's beautifully shot and yeah like you said the cast I mean Janelle Monet is great. Naomi Harris is like unbelievable. You know, she's Money Penny, of course, in the mm, Bond films. Yes, yes, I knew I recognized her. And she's like, it's you, like it's so amazing. It's a complete transformation here. She plays Sharon's mother, and um, is pretty horrible to him. But uh, you oddly have a good bit of sympathy for her too, because it's a movie that's like all about trying to find the complexities I think in, in people's experiences is, and, and you may have said this and I miss it. Is the movie told, is it told linearly or lin, lin, linearly or do we jump back and forth to different points in his life? No, it is totally linear. Okay, good. About it. Okay. And, um, so yeah, I mean, by the end it has, it has a great emotional impact. Uh, I remember, 
first time I saw it at a screening a few months ago, a lot of people were crying by the end. Um, I think that's the thing that you'll find with a lot of these movies. I mean, it's, I say it's a great year for movies, but it's also kind of a rough year for movies because a lot of these movies will definitely find you in tears by mm-hmm. the end. So is this a five hanky film? By, uh, I would which, say so. Yeah. I which, say by so. the way, that can be our new rating. <laughs> for, for, this is the one hanky film. You should be able to get through it okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love what you said, Eric, about um, you know, a lot of the actors who we love and our and our geek films, you know, are in these movies. And it's kinda like so like for me, I mean, as as the culture editor for, for BBC.com, you know, I uh, I have one foot in the geek world and I have one foot kind of like in more of like sort of the, the Oscar world in a sense as well. And But the thing is I don't see them as being two separate worlds. I see them as like one whole continuum. And so like for me, you know, I, I, I love talking about, you know, Star Wars Rebels and then I love talking about Moonlight. So because there, there actually is a lot more overlap in, 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 in these – you know, among these films and these projects, than than one can think. So, well, we're we're gonna get to one in a bit here. That's got yeah. Peter Parker and and Kylo Ren out trying to to find Qui Gon Jinn. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned you know the having one foot in both worlds because I think for me, it was it was my geekdom that was kind of the gateway to just liking film in general. Yes. And, and learning to appreciate good storytelling, you know, because that's what opened the door to to seek out more. And as I heard about actors who I was familiar with from projects like, you know, whether it be Star Wars or some other superhero movie or some other geek centric movie. Oh, I like them in this. And that would lead me into other things. Sometimes it didn't work out so well. We went to see um, some friends and I back in the 90s went to see The Island of Dr. Moreau because David Thewlis oh. was in it. Not because of Marlon Brando, but because David Thewlis and, and Val Kilmer were in it. And, uh, you know, that was a mistake, but it, sometimes yeah. it works out great, you know? so. You... Well, I mean, look, when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up to be a chef like my father before me. Um, and then I was seven years old in 1977 and Star Wars came out, and that just changed everything mm-hmm. for me. After that, it was just all about movies. Then it was, I want to grow up to make the next Star Wars movie. I want to be a director. Um, the Force guided my my career on a different path, and instead I'm making the next Star Wars books. But, you know, because of Star Wars, I found an interest in film. And then, you know, as I got older, I started to appreciate you know, not the big, not, I still love the big blockbusters. I mean, I'm still there opening weekend for any Marvel movie and stuff like that. But, you know, my favorite movie of 2015 wound up being Spotlight. Yeah. And and that's, com- that's a completely different animal than, you know, The Force Awakens that came out at the same time. And I love The Force Awakens, but, you know, as I get older, I just find different things to appreciate in the movies but i love movies because i saw star wars well there's you know i like to go to the theater for the big blockbusters but man on a saturday afternoon sitting around sometimes you know or a set or, or a friday evening or a, you know just whenever it's on a rainy day really it's these smaller uh stories that i like to put in and you know or, or call up on the on the itunes or whatever and and give a watch and give a viewing because 
it's just it, it i'm not worried about sitting and watching popcorn and enjoying it. i just want to be sucked into a story and yeah. i want to be sucked into good filmmaking and and these are the movies these types of movies are the ones that end up being the ones that get watched over and over and over mm-hmm. again if you find them on cable or if they if you're on hbo or whatever the case may be that these because they are compelling nine times out of ten you know i I remember the first time i watched just fargo uh back in the 90s and i was so confused about i'm like this is what is this is what constitutes a good movie now and then two days later we popped it in again and i'm like this is what and now whenever i see that it's on i can't stop watching it because i'm just so i'm like this is just so compelling and that's and that's what these kind of movies become for me are those movies that i just can't help but watch because they they're so compelling. And um, one that has got me curious is this next one we're going to talk about, Lion, uh, about the little Indian boy who is, um, who's abandoned on a train and gets found, I guess, rescued in Calcutta by an Australian couple. This is based on a true story. Yeah, they just did a profile on the, the man whose life this is based on. Uh, just had a profile on 60 Minutes this past weekend about him. Amazing, amazing. It's an amazing true story. And, and, th- and this is one of these films that, you know, it's really heartwarming. And it, ha- it takes you on such an emotional journey um, and because it's all about how, yeah, he grows up then in Australia with this, this, uh, this Australian couple that, that adopted him. But, of course, he wants to find his, his family in India um, because he was separated from them and he wants to, to find them again. And, and it's about his journey of reconnecting with them. It's Pretty amazing, you know. Dev Patel um, really can be a strong actor, no doubt, and uh, and and he's he's getting some attention for for this performance. Um, and it's what's also cool about it is that like Nicole Kidman is in this, but she's very much just in a supporting role. You know, mm-hmm. she's not like and she. It's like Dev Patel has the spotlight here. So um, even though you've well, got she plays his adoptive mother, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's it, this is like, you know, it's a movie that definitely has some some sad ele- some sad elements to it, but it's ultimately really heartwarming and um this is one that I do hope will get seen by more people because it really this one has hardly been playing anywhere so far. Um so so we'll see that could that could affect its uh, award season chances going forward if it, if it has um, a real limited distribution. I have a potentially stupid question. Have you now? Have you seen this one, Christian? I have. Okay. Yes. Um, it it seems like from the trailers, and I understand that being left and being abandoned on a train in India is is very much a, a traumatic childhood experience. But it almost seems like as he's going back and trying to rediscover and find his family, that he remembers some things that may even be a little more traumatic. Is that? kind of the case um there is an element yes uh to the film that 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 is like that i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything but uh but yeah it's it you know it's not the movie isn't quite as straightforward as i think uh as i think we're initially describing it it definitely takes it goes on some tangents it has some twists and turns all right all right uh three four hankies i would say four hankies oh wow Wow. Yeah. <laughs> are they feel good hankies or are they just that my heart is broken? <laughs> I would say mostly feel good. Oh, hankies. good. Good. Erish, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I know you, you love musicals, so you're excited about La La Land. 
Uh, you know what? I, I actually am excited about this movie. Oh, come um, on. You let me down, man. Well, every once in a while, like I, look, before we, we came on to record tonight, I was watching Enchanted. And oh. it's been years since I've seen that, but like, I was really into it, you know? Wow. So every once in a while, a musical comes along that, like, you know, works for me. Um, but in this case, it's it's because this is the same guy that wrote and directed Whiplash, and I loved Whiplash. Mm-hmm. And this just looks, you know me, I'm a sucker for good romance, too. And this just looks, this looks like the kind of thing that, like, why you go to the movies. To be transported into kind of this magical sort of story and i'm not saying the story has magic in it but you know what i'm saying it's like i i don't know this just looks like a lot of fun well i mean come on emma stone ryan gosling this is uh i'm surprised this isn't being marketed as a, a huge big budget film or is it am i just missing something you know it's it's funny it's it's being marketed almost more like an indie film in a way it's only playing right now in new york and la and maybe chicago hmm. Um, but really it's, um, it's, it's going to be a slow rollout for this one. I think it's only going to start to go wide in January, um, which is, which is surprising in a way because I, because it it could be, you know, this could be a huge hit and maybe it's, it still will be, maybe, maybe it's smart actually to just roll it out slowly. So you build word of mouth and have people saying great things about it. But you know, what Eric is saying, I, I can tell you this movie is so fantastic it, this is exactly the kind of movie that you really need to see on a big screen. It's so visual. It's such propulsive storytelling. The um, the songs are really good. They're actually from the um, uh, the composer of the new Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen, which is really taken Broadway by storm this season. Um, the songs are good. Uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling can actually sing. Their dancing is pretty good too. And you know what I love about this movie is that I feel like a lot of times with with more recent musicals, um, there's like it's kind of like the musical form has to almost be put like in air quotes or it has to be presented in sort of an ironic way. I'm thinking even of like the way that the musical numbers were handled in in Hail Caesar earlier this year, which was kind of making fun of the whole thing. Uh, but this movie is like totally sincere. It is. There's no irony whatsoever. It's just pure emotion. And, you know, as someone who loves the MGM musicals of the the 1940s and 50s, you know, Singing in the Rain and American in Paris, The Bandwagon, all those kind of movies with Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, this film absolutely captures that magic. I was just going to ask you if this had a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers kind of feel to it. It does. It truly does. It's... uh. You know, I, I I don't know how they did it really. I mean, it, it's to to capture that so perfectly, and uh, and you just invest in the story and the emotions uh, so much. It's really it's really remarkable, and it's fun too. I mean, it's it's you know, it's you're you're going into this. It should almost be like you know, if you think that you're going to see La La Land, it should be like you're going in to see like you know a fun blockbuster, really, because it's you're gonna just have a fun time at the movies. Mm. Well, of all the uh, of all the movies we're talking about um, for this past the corn segment, uh, this next one is the one that the trailer just kind of resonated with me or, or really got, got me the most, and that's loving. Um, 
about uh, it's about a Virginian interracial couple, Richard Mildred Loving, uh, played by Uncle Owen, and uh, <laughs> is is Richard, and uh, they were sentenced to prison in 1958 for violating the state's laws against um, interracial marriages, miscegenation. I don't. That's a big word. Uh, they decide to fight back, and uh, they take it all the way to the Supreme Court, and that decision struck down laws prohibiting interracial marriages. And this, just the way, just the structure of the trailer, you know, everything that's going on, you feel everything that's happening. You're, I mean, I'm already angry at the points I'm supposed to be angry. And and, and there's just something about it that when it, when it was through, I'm like, I've got to see this movie. Well, and the number one thing for the number one driving force for me on this is the writer director Jeff Nichols, mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about him over the last year. Let um, the midnight special. Let the midnight special <laughs> shine a light on me. And that was just just premiered on HBO Saturday night. I know. I've got to watch Saturday it. Night. Loved it even more the second time around. So, if you guys didn't get a chance to see Midnight Special in the theater or on video or whatever if you've got hbo look for it if you've got hbo now or on demand definitely watch it it's a fantastic movie um but he he wrote and directed mud which was fantastic with matthew mcconaughey take shelter with um oh uh, his name's uh, general zod um terrence stamp no. no, it would have been amazing with Jared Stamp, but it was uh, Michael Shannon. Okay, yes, yes, who is in all of his movies? Oh yeah, there's been another General Zod, hasn't yeah. there? Oh. Uh, but look, this guy, this guy is just gold to me. Callum Blue, one, it, it, Jeff Nichols is one of my favorite directors working right now. I'm just always excited about anything he's doing. Um, and you mentioned Joel Edgerton, but Ruth Nega is plays the wife in the movie. And she'll be familiar to anybody who watched the first season of Preacher. And she's also been on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so she's definitely a face that the uh, the Geek Out Loud audience is going to recognize. And she's a fantastic actress, too. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, she's she's really the heart of this film in, in many ways. And it's a very well-acted movie. Um, and it t- tells a story that... Uh, it's amazing that we don't know about this, you know, even more than we do. It, right. It's it's incredible that that it's really taken this long for the story to to make it to the big screen because it's really incredible what what this couple went through. They got married in 1958. They they were arrested immediately, um, and they ended up fighting just for the right to be married, like all the way up till 1967 when uh, the Supreme Court. Um, finally overturned the miscegenation laws that uh, that had prevented them from being together. It's it's pretty amazing. It's um, you know it, it's it's just a, a chapter of our history that that I think uh, we needed to cast a spotlight on. And uh, I hope this is a film that we'll talk about more in the the awards race here going forward. It seems it, it seems like it's been a little neglected in a way. It it, th- this is a film that it first premiered at Cannes back in May, and you know I think it was everybody thought it was going to be a really big Best Picture contender, but it feels like it's being muscled out a little bit by Manchester by the Sea, La La Land, and Moonlight. So, but Ruth Nega could still be a Best Actress contender, no doubt. 
Well, I like I said, of all the trailers we had, this was probably the one that just struck me as the most powerful and the most engaging of, of these films that just made me want to see it. I don't know if it was the manipulative piano music or um, or just the uh, the acting that I saw in this was just fantastic. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting to getting to watch this. Um, and I'll tell you, close second to that because hello Denzel Washington fences. Uh, directed and uh, starring Denzel Washington, um, it's a he plays a black garbage collector named Troy Maxson in the 1950s. He's bitter about baseball's color barrier that was broken uh, after his own heyday, and uh, Maxson is prone to taking out his frustration on his loved ones. And this is a, it seems to be heavily centered on a father son relationship. And man, um, we I was talking. Uh, on our Disney podcast just today, in fact, about the, the fact that, you know, every son, regardless of how estranged from his father he is, has some desire in him to, to know that his father is proud of him, uh, loves him. You know, sons tend to work hard for their father's respect and love. And whether it's a father or an estranged father or a father figure, and um and man this seems to be doing that and and the and we get to hear some of Denzel classic Denzel monologuing you know when he talks about ain't no rule says I have to love you you know you you sleep in my bed I fill your belly with food and it's just like oh my gosh what a cold joker but he's obviously dealing with his own stuff this looks like a very powerful this looks to me to be a good five hanky I think well sorry go ahead Christian yeah, well, this is actually the one movie here that I have not seen yet, but August Wilson, one of the great American playwrights, this is probably his best-known play. and well, it, it was a Pulitzer Prize-winning play. Uh, yeah. And to see Denzel Washington and Viola Davis you know, acting together, I mean, two of our finest actors, that's... Yes. That's that's pretty amazing. I hear it's a little, you know, it does feel a little stagey. It does feel like that you're watching a filmed play more than a movie, in a sense. But when you're talking about actors this good, it, it, it seems like uh, well, not playing about. The two of them did this play together, and are are coming back to do the movie together. And just from the the trailer, there's the two trailers that I've seen for it. She looks to be just as incredible in this movie as he is, if not even more so. I mean, she's got a fantastic monologue where she's just laying her soul out in front of him talking about, you know, he's talking about all of the opportunities he missed. And she's just telling him, like, who's been standing next to you the whole time? And just, I mean, she's just like completely letting herself go in it. And you just watch this trailer with the two of them in it and it, like these are the clips that they're going to show at the academy awards when you know their nominations come up are going to be these clips from the trailer and mm-hmm. they're just that powerful um it just looks uh, like two incredible performances to me no doubt about it um and i believe i saw again denzel was just recently on on 60 Minutes, you know, they did a piece to promote this. And I believe he's committed to producing all of August Wilson's works, I think, for HBO. 
So there may be more stuff coming. Hmm. That's pretty incredible. Yes. If we can act, if he can pull that off uh, and put all of those plays, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be in all of them. Yeah. And he certainly made it sound like he wasn't <laughs> looking forward to, he wasn't looking to direct anything again, but I do believe I heard them mention at the beginning of the piece that he had committed to producing all of his plays. So he's not going to become the dramatic Tyler Perry. Uh, no, <laughs> he said. He said he's got a, his next project is going to have to pay some bills. There you go. All right. Um. Well, moving on. Uh, Natalie Portman is Jackie in Jackie. Uh, plays Jacqueline Kennedy uh, in the aftermath of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and um, I. It it seems to me that she is dealing with grief and making plans for the funeral procession. So it, you're talking about the immediate, uh, truly the immediate aftermath of of that incident and, and getting that portion of the biography of, of Jacqueline Kennedy with Natalie Portman playing her. Natalie Portman looks incredible as Jackie O. So, um Eris, what say you about... Well, Steve, real quick, we got to take a we're not worthy... Here moment because Christian actually moderated a BAFTA screening of this and interviewed Natalie Portman. Oh, shut up. Um, so I, I've seen pictures of the dude standing next to Padme, like with a huge smile on his face. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, and not only we're not worthy, yeah. we're not worthy. Well, and Natalie Portman also not just Pat, not just Padme, but Natalie Portman oh, is the professional. Is one of my favorite movies of all time. Attack Mars Attacks. V. For- <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me let me let me try that one more. No, V for Vendetta is is a great film that she's in. She. She is super. I think beautiful she's a, girls. Yes, uh, I love that movie, and she is amazing. It's creepy because she's like ten years old, and you're like falling in love with her. But I love that movie. Well, she's an amazing actress. She's super intelligent. But you've met her, so tell us, tell us, Christian, are we wrong? Uh, no, she is everything that that you would think she is. She is so talented, so smart. Uh, she's a great conversationalist, and I think with this movie in particular, she just feels such passion for this. Uh, you know, to really get inside Jacqueline Kennedy's head, like during what must have been the most surreal, horrific, unimaginably awful four days of her life, um, at a time when, yeah, she was dealing with the horrible grief and shock of her husband being murdered right in front of her. Um, but she had to be there for her children as well. And she had to put on a good face for the nation and she had to try to cement her husband's legacy by putting on this, this funeral. Um, she had, and she had to make plans to leave the white house, um, because Lyndon Johnson was was going to was going to take over. So I mean it's it's an incredible portrait of someone barely keeping it together and and somehow finding the strength to do so. And you know I know like when we were talking about it, you know, uh Natalie Portman just has such regard and reverence for for Jackie and, and and uh she really did her homework on this film. She listened to like hours long interviews that she that Jackie had conducted with Arthur Arthur uh, Schlesinger in the in the 60s to really get a sense of her voice how she speaks her cadence 
um, and try to get a little sense of like how was she different in her private life from the way that she presented herself in public or on TV. Um, so she really did her homework and yeah, it's an incredible performance. I think, I think one of the best of the year, um, she's absolutely the leading contender for, for best actress at, at the Oscars. And, uh, and I think it's deserved. Well, I, it, I'm amazed by it. I, I've just, uh, I've seen the trailer of course, and, and, um, really blown away with Natalie Portman in this role. And, and this is one of those, I love a good bot. Biopic, biopic. How do you guys say it? I always say biopic. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But I've heard people say biopic. But I yeah, too- I, I love a good biopic. I mean, I don't, I don't care if it's uh, Walk the Line or um, oh, what was the James Brown one? Um, get on Black up. Panther. Yeah, get on up. Uh, you know, I love a good biopic. There, uh, the- I, I like Walk Hard. The Dewey. Yes. Story. Yes. <laughs> How do I walk, boys? Um, the uh, but there's one even on HBO now. It's not necessarily a, a biopic, but it definitely is. Uh, it, it's the Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, yeah, the one, one. with um, with uh, Anthony Mackie playing uh, Martin Luther yeah. King, and it is it's yeah, great. Bri- Brian Cranston plays uh, yeah. uh, Lyndon Johnson, and it is it's fascinating. I love a good biopic. Yeah, I believe that one's called All the Way. Yes, thank you. All the Way. Yes. Yes. Um Oh, Amy Adams. Who is just an enchanted that I watched earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. I was just going to say, by the way, Eric, I just as a quick aside, I love Enchanted. And <laughs> when that movie came out in 2007, I, I I saw it at least twice. I loved it so much. Um and the, and, and the and, is that Adina Menzel in it? Yes, it is. I thought it was her. As as Nancy. Yeah. Adina Menzel, you mean Haseba de Bahamana Hasebene? Yeah, Adele, uh, Adele, Adele Dazim or whatever yeah. John calls her. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. She is Patrick Dempsey's uh, girlfriend, and then uh, things take a twist. Uh, but but I love that she gets her own happy ending. Yep. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Um, before we before we move into nocturnal animals, I need to point out Jimmy in Georgia, who's in the chat right now, mixer.com slash goalverse, says that his niece is in Walk Hard as one of Dewey Cox's kids. Whoa. Really? Now I have known Jimmy in Georgia for years. Jimmy in Georgia has been a faithful part and a contributor to the Goliverse, and he has never once told me that he has relatives that that were with John C. Rock. Oh, I'm so angry and also blown away right now. Jimmy and Georgia, pencil me in for a discussion with your niece at some point about being one of Dewey Cox's kids. <laughs> Walk hard, the Dewey Cox story. Walk hard. Hard. Down I love the song at the end. Widen road. All right, now i got to figure out who, who his kid is. Well, he's got several because, you know. I know. He's Dewey Cox. All right. Um, nocturnal animals is what we're talking about. That's how, that's why we mentioned Amy Adams. Um, uh, this is a thriller? Suspense thriller? Maybe? It is. It, it is. It, it, this is a, it's a very conceptual movie. So it's, it's like a movie within a movie. Or it's sort of like a, a Russian nesting doll story because it's about – this 
L.A. art gallery owner, played by Amy Adams, who is sent a novel written by her ex-husband. It's his first novel. He's just about to get it published. And it's a, so she starts reading it, and then we see this whole other story unfold that's like the plot of the novel. And that is like this Western thriller. And, but as she, as she is reading it, she starts to think that there are themes in this story that her ex-husband has written that kind of reflect back on their own marriage and that it's like kind of almost like his vengeance against her um, for the way that their marriage ended. Um, the, the Western story is really thrilling, I have to say. It's really, really good. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is in like full deliverance mode. He is terrifying. Um, and Michael Shannon, you know, we love Michael, Michael Shannon here, of course. He, uh, he is just beyond fantastic as this sort of tech, uh, Texas lawman who has so many great lines. He's probably the most quotable character of, you know, of any movie this year, really. Uh, he's so much fun and he ultimately is helping, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal who is the one character he plays both Amy Adams' ex-husband in the frame story, and he plays the husband who's being terrorized along with his wife and daughter in the the Western thriller part of it. And so ultimately Jake Gyllenhaal teams up with Michael Shannon to try to find out what happened to his wife and daughter. Um, it's really it's it's a it is a terrifying film in many respects. It's a very nasty film. Um, definitely not one for everybody. It's funny. Uh, one of my friends, the, um, film critic for the Tampa Bay times, Steve Purcell has actually said, this movie is why parts of the rest of the world hate us. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see it even more now. (laughs) I know. And he gave it a D because it's, it is such a negative view of both, uh, urban America and such a negative view of rural America. Basically, it is just like pure negativity across the board. So, uh, so brace yourself for that. But it's well, interesting. And what's interesting to me is that the commercials that I'm seeing on TV for it seem to be focused just on the Western story yeah. part of the movie. And, and, and I worry that people are going to go to it thinking that's going to be the movie. And it, it's a little misleading. Yeah, it's true. It's it's a funny thing about it because you know Amy Adams uh, is good in this, but most of the film is just her like reading this book and getting her reactions. And now she's really good at just reacting. I mean, as we saw in Arrival, where I thought she was fantastic. Uh, although I know you didn't like Arrival. Uh, I was <laughs> supremely disappointed by Arrival. I was so excited to see it. But was and... a similar thing where it was mismarketed? In many respects, you know, you thought, no, it was, no, it, it, the movie was what I thought it was going to be. My disappointment in it was the, was one, um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, the lead male in it, I, I'm forgetting his name right now, plays Hawkeye in the Marvel. Movies. Jeremy Renner. Yes. Jeremy Renner's character was just completely, he didn't even need to be there. He yeah. did not. He did absolutely nothing in the movie. And two, the the MacGuffin at the end, I thought was an absolute cheat by the filmmaker. <laughs> I was so angry when that happened. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? That's like the biggest cheat 
I've ever seen in a movie. Hmm. Um, and interesting when I, I I saw it with my my middle nephew, and we and when we walked out, he looked at me and he said, "He's like, you know, he's like, this is the kind of movie that if M Night Shyamalan kept making good movies, like this is the kind of movie that he would make." And I thought that it was very wow. true. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Yeah, I, but I, I mean, Amy yeah. Adams was fantastic oh, in yeah. it. it. It was not an easy role to play, um, and you know she's got to play this role. There's a lot of there's a lot of silence to her role, um, but I just was really let down by the ending. I thought it was all too easy. Oh, yeah, God. well, it'll be interesting to see if you see Nocturnal Animals if you like that more or less because it is a similar role in a way since it's you know it's a very quiet role for amy adams she's just like reading this book and we're just like like watching her like watching her face as she's reading this book but um yeah it's it's an interesting movie it's from tom ford the fashion designer who mm-hmm. made one previous film uh called single man with colin firth like seven years ago uh and with- colin firth was nominated for that i believe was indeed yeah. yeah yeah so but nocturnal animals i think is a lot more polarizing i don't think we're going to be hearing too much about this uh in award season going forward hmm. well and finally uh all right well take it off my list steve oh, okay done <laughs> uh finally uh from martin scorsese uh a film called silence uh the aforementioned andrew garfield and adam driver our Jesuit priest who go to Japan to find uh, the the mentor of Andrew Garfield's character, played by Liam Neeson, who has renounced his faith while on mission there. Um, when they get there, they find that the country's Christian population is being systematically exterminated, and um, they feel like uh, that this isn't right, and so their faith is rocked. It's based on Shizaku, Shizaku Indu, uh, Indo's rather acclaimed 1966 novel. I have not, I was not familiar with this at all. I'd seen a picture of Andrew Garfield um, from this, and I was like, who made Andrew Garfield a Jedi? And where did they get all that? Where, you know, <laughs> what is this Photoshop that's happening? Um, I'm really intrigued by this movie. I can't wait to see this movie. And I can tell you, it is so good. It is. You've seen it? I've seen it. And in many ways, it's the culmination of so many different threads and themes in Martin Scorsese's career. Um, You know, of course, Scorsese, when he was a young man, he wanted to be a priest. And uh, so he had this devout Catholic faith. But at the same time, of course, then he fell in love with movies and he, he went in that direction. Uh, and many of his films have have dealt with his faith and um, and in really powerful ways. Um, some of them have been controversial, like The Last Temptation of Christ in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, and 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 others have you know taken a little bit more oblique view. Like he also did a film about the Dalai Lama uh, called Kundun in the nineties. But yep, this yep. this film is really interesting because it it you know it asks. Um, you know, some really serious questions about how do you stay true to your values when it seems like everything around you is trying to strip them away from you? And how do you, and, and at the same time, does, uh, 
does clinging to your values, even if it results in great suffering being inflicted upon others, is that ultimately the greatest expression of your faith? Uh, because a lot of people do end up suffering because of um, the Andrew Garfield and, and um, Adam Driver and Liam Neeson characters in this movie. Um, it's, it, I saw it with a colleague of mine uh, last week, and it was so funny because she, she had said that um, a, a friend of hers had already seen it and had described it as an emotional horror story. And I think that's really... Uh, that's really the best way to describe it. It is it is horrific in so many ways. There's so much torture in this film. There's so much brutality. It is so violent. Um, my God, it is really it's a really intense, harrowing experience. But um, but I think it's it's also just it, it's it's so beautifully shot and it's so uh, there's such commitment like in every frame. Um, that you just can't help but really ad- admire it and um, and appreciate what Scorsese is going through here. I don't know if I can see it again anytime soon, though. It is really rough. Hmm. Wow, it 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 is intriguing. Um, and 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 just reading up a little bit on Shisaku Endo, uh, apparently um, most of his writings were very centered in his Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and he caught a lot of flack for that in a lot of ways. And the, it's, it's weird. It, it seems like, uh, Christendom doesn't really claim him fully and, and neither does the secular culture. So he's a man who walks in both worlds. Yeah. And, uh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'm really intrigued by this movie. So, uh, Christian, are there any that, that we might've missed out that you feel strongly about maybe, uh, overlooking because usually this time of year is when they roll out their, you know, the the movie studios like to roll out their their hits for the Oscar nods. Yeah, so no doubt about it. Well, actually, I I could give you my top ten for the year real oh, quick. Oh sure, yeah, we love list. All right, yeah. So let me just pull it up here. Uh, all right, so let's see if there's anything else we've actually covered. A number of these that have a, n- a number of these have we've already discussed, but um, yeah, uh, just missing the cut at number eleven was La La Land for me. But my top ten, number ten is this film called uh, Certain Women by Kelly Riker, who had made this uh, really awesome western a couple years ago called uh, Meek's Cutoff. And Certain Women is this really great. Um, sort of indie film set in Montana about the lives of different women there. It's really interesting. Uh, number nine, I'm putting uh, The Shallows, which you guys haven't seen it. That film is fantastic. It's oh. The Blu-ray is sitting on my desk. I just have <laughs> The been. Shallows, is that Jaws in Shallow Water? Yes, yeah. it is. It okay, is so yeah, cool. I haven't seen that. I, listen, yeah. I... <laughs> I uh, I like to go to the beach, and so I hate to watch movies like that because I usually end up saying, nope, I'm good. Don't need to go back. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, so, yeah, I put uh, number eight was Silence, the Scorsese film, um, film I admire tremendously. Just don't know if I can watch it again. Just don't want to watch it again. <laughs> it's really true. It's really true. Seven was Rogue One, which I adore and which I know we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, six is Manchester by the Sea. Five is probably, I would say, the biggest film that we haven't talked about here, which is this German movie that's just opening in New York on Christmas Day called Tony Erdman. And it's this three-hour German comedy 
um, starring this actress Sandra Huller. And this film, I mean, like, all right, so you know, let's let's be honest, like, you know, German films, you know, you don't really think of like German filmmaking as being like conducive to like laugh out loud comedy, but this film is so much fun and so life affirming and has such a positive message about just like embracing life. It's um, it's really a movie that I think. Uh, I know I needed, and I think a lot of us need right now. So um, Tony Erdman, definitely check that out. That that is just a good time with the movies. Um, number four, I put uh, Moana, the Disney film, which oh, I wow. loved it. Love that movie so much. Three is Arrival. I I know, Erich. We we will we will do battle about this later. <laughs> Maybe on my five worst list. <laughs> I've got to I've got to see this movie. <laughs> it's polarizing, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, number two is Love and Friendship, um, an adaptation of a little-known Jane Austen novel called Lady Susan. It stars Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, okay. Favorites. It's so good. And number one, it's not going to get any awards attention, but it's such an interesting movie. It's kind of like a documentary narrative film hy- hybrid. It's called Kate Plays Christine. I think it's the best film of the year. Kate, Play- Kate Plays Christine is this really interesting sort of documentary – Fantasia in a way about um, this TV news anchor named Christine Chubbuck who went down in history for having committed suicide on air in 1974. And it's a true story. It is absolutely harrowing, but it says so much about, um, about about the media and the way that we, a lot of people kind of end up performing their own lives and um it's fascinating it feels like the most 2016 film to me so kate plays christine check it out all right well um i'm just scrolling through really quickly because a lot of times what we like to do as well with the pass the corn segment is just take a brief look at some anniversary films and uh, yeah i apologize I no that's that's quite all right that's quite all right 40 years ago in 1976 in december of 1976 I just have to bring this up because it is funny. Uh, King Kong, uh, the the World Trade Center King Kong, as yeah, I like to call it, was <laughs> with a man just in a gorilla suit. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, Thirty years ago in 1986. Now, according to By the Numbers or the Numbers dot com, uh, Three Amigos, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's amazing. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors was released in, apparently then and then uh platoon as well some 30 years ago uh 25 years ago in 1991 star trek 6 the undiscovered country ladies and gentlemen amazing um someone shut him up isn't that the one where that's what he says because the guy keeps quoting uh shakespeare <laughs> over the thing uh also i know a lot of uh a lot of our listeners love this movie hook was released on December 11 of 1991, 25 years ago. So, um, Mr. Robin Williams, God rest his soul. Man, I miss that guy. Um, uh, go ahead. I, I like to think of that as part of Spielberg's dark period. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Hook. I'm yeah. not a big fan of Hook. Not a big fan. Of, but also, JFK was released in December of 1991. Back and to the left. I only appreciate JFK because it gave us the the classic magic loogie scene in Seinfeld. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I that do love must that. Have yes, been one magic loogie. It must have been one magic loogie. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, 20 years ago in 1996, uh, Jerry Maguire in, in December of 1996. Um, Did you know the human head weighs seven pounds? Oh, man. Who doesn't love Jerry Maguire? Um, the aforementioned Mars Attacks was in December. That is a movie that um, I can't suggest anyone watch. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. This is taking me back to the college days, guys. Uh, you're talking Beavis and Butthead Do America. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're talking... <laughs> you, uh, apparently, Scream... I didn't remember Scream being released in December. I thought it was released earlier that year. Um, that started a whole new thing there. And uh, on Christmas um, Day that year, Evita... Which, uh, since you, since we were talking musicals earlier, I figure it might be worth bringing up there. And uh, so that was, what, 20 years ago in 1996. Man, that doesn't seem like 20 years, guys, if I'm being honest. Wow, I know. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem like that. Uh, 15 years ago, this is where you really start feeling the burn, when you get into the actual 2000s. 2001, December of 2001. Oh, you know what was released in December 2001? Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. Uh, 15 years ago. Wow. That's hard to believe. That was. I remember th- those movies I was in awe of year after year. I, yep. I, they, I don't go back and rewatch them that much because it feels like such a commitment of time. But I, I said then that at that point in history, I think that uh, as a trilogy... They were some of the most perfect, perfectly made films I'd seen ever. Uh, I was blown away with them. I don't know how well they stand up because, like I say, I haven't gone back and revisited them too often in the past, I don't know, 10 years maybe. I quote, keep it secret, keep it safe all the time. Me too, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much every Star Wars book I work on when I like, you know, pass something on to you know, somebody involved in it, I'm just like, keep it secret, keep it safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Also, 15 years ago in December, uh, this month was um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney gave us Ocean's Ocean's Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Wow. uh, Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Thirteen. I love those movies. (laughs) Not so much the Ocean's Twelve. No. (laughs) Pretend that one didn't happen. Um, Looking here, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. I don't see much to... It's catching my attention from ten years ago in December here as I'm as I'm scrolling through. So uh, those are the anniversary movies of December this year. So um, it's been good. Uh, before we roll into kind of our closeout and getting into the Rogue One talk, Christian, anything that you'd like to plug for the listeners here about? Wow. Uh, well, just, you know, please, if you've enjoyed what we've been talking about here tonight, come and check out uh, what we're doing at bbc.com slash culture. Uh, you can follow me at C.T. Blauvelt on Twitter. That's at C-T-B-L-A-U-V-E-L-T, C.T. Blauvelt. Uh, and please check out our BBC Culture Facebook page. Just type in BBC Culture to Facebook and um yeah i promise you will learn something so please check us out well there's a promise there's a promise of learning something there uh you can follow geek out loud on uh twitter at geek out loud erish is at darth underscore duff 
I'm at Steve Glosson, and you can follow the entire Goliverse at Goliverse. Don't forget about the new Goliverse Facebook group, which you can get to by going to geekoutonline.com slash group and uh, ask to join, and we'll bring you in. And, uh, and there's already some fun, good discussions going on over there, and uh, you want to be a part of it, I'm telling you. Uh, so... Um, where else? Oh, the email, geekoutonline at gmail.com. That's for you, buddy. Um, you can email the show, geekoutonline at gmail.com. And please feel free to support the show. The holidays are coming up. You're going to get all kinds of fun gift cards, Amazon gift cards and stuff. Before you go to amazon.com, go to geekoutonline.com or geekoutpodcast.com. Use those Amazon links and support the show. There's also Entertainment Earth links and Think Geek links that you can use to support the show and when you do it really truly helps us out and we thank you so much for your support if you want to support the shows directly patreon.com slash geek out loud Christian thank you so much for joining us I'll thank you again once we're through with our Star Wars talk uh, gentlemen thank you so much for having me on it has been a pleasure and I uh, hope to be on again sometime anytime you're welcome we back we gotta get anytime. him on Rebel Yell yes Yes, indeed, we will. All right, so uh, stick around if you want. If you're so inclined to hear some Rogue One talk, because Wait, we're gonna... can I plug Mile High Tundra? Yes, please. I'm sorry, please do. We're down to final two weeks of the NFL season. Broncos and Packers are both in the playoff hunt. Listen to Mile High Tundra every week for your Broncos and Packers fanboy talk with a biased take on the rest of the league. It's going to be an exciting run to the playoffs. At least for one of our teams. There you go. <laughs> All right. That's Mile High Tundra. You can find that at geekoutpodcast.com as well as the rest of the Goloverse shows. And we have several coming up this week. You'll hear Teresa and I talking about uh, Chicken Little. We've got uh, the Geek Out Loud where I talk specifically. Just me, Rogue One, is about to be released uh, at the time of this recording tonight. So look out for that as well as a lot of big honking shows and all kinds of other fun stuff happening this week so stick around if you want to hear some rogue one talk uh if you if not pause it here and come back to it after you've seen the movie we'll see you next time on geek out loud Walk as hard as I dang well please. You even timed that perfectly. Well, you know. You are just a master at this. What's the 10,000 hour rule? What's t- I don't know what the 10,000 hour rule is. If you is. do anything for 10,000 hours, you become a, an expert at it, I guess. Is ah. What, is what, uh, what's his face said? Malcolm, what's his name? Anyhow. All right. We're not here to talk about him. We're here to talk Rogue One. <laughs> So, uh, as we do when we do these kind of discussions, Christian, we'll defer to you as the guest. Um, overall thoughts about, before we get into too many specifics, overall thoughts of Rogue One. It was in your top ten. It was in my top ten. I love this movie so much, I have to say. Uh, I've seen it twice. First time I saw it, uh, you know, so, I mean, part, part, part of the problem with, with, with my job in a way is that I'm just on the clock practically all the time. So a lot of times when I go see movies, I'm I'm really tired. But uh, but Rogue One had my attention from the beginning. Obviously, I was looking forward to this forever. I've been a Star Wars fan my whole life, 
And this film is so cool because it fleshes in and fills out like little gaps in in the timeline that we we kind of had an idea maybe what was happening leading up to episode four, how the rebels got the Death Star plans, but uh, this movie actually shows us what really went down, and I think that that is so inherently awesome. I will say it didn't have the uh, kind of overwhelming emotional impact on me that The Force Awakens had. Um, when I saw that film, I was just like a blubbering mess by the end. I love I love that movie so much, and I think it's so emotional and so moving. Um, but the second time I saw Rogue One, it definitely moved me more. I think the, the new characters are really, really well developed, and um, wow, the way it puts them through the ringer. <laughs> it's tough, but uh, but it, it feels epic. It's beautifully shot. I love – it looks different from just so many other blockbusters out there. Like, you know, I love the Marvel movies to death, but I think you could argue that a lot of times they look very – bright and very um they're very well lit and like this was uh this had like a little bit of chiaroscuro to it like this this is a movie that was like you know it feels really lived in it feels like that used future that that ralph mcquarrie and george lucas um envisioned way back in the Mm -hmm. 70s so it feels like pure star wars but it also feels different from a lot of other blockbusters that are being made now and it's just and it's somehow really epic yet really um uh, and and yeah, really emotional in its own way, um, in a different way from Force Awakens, but I think still really uh, moving mm-hmm. in its own right too. So I, I loved it. I think it's fantastic. Erich, yeah. I loved it. Um, I I too have seen it twice. Uh, I gotta say Thursday night, the first time I saw it. And, and, and granted, I had read the manuscript already. I knew what I was walking into for the most part with this. So. I was kind of anxious watching it the first time. I was busy looking for Easter eggs and <laughs> little things in the background and stuff. And, you know, I was busy running the, the story through my head as I'm watching it and kind of comparing how things lined up and everything. Whereas the second time I saw it, Friday night, I was able to just sit back and just relax and just enjoy the movie. And I enjoyed it much much more the second time mm-hmm. around um it, i just I, I loved all the new characters i loved all the little connections to a new hope and rebels and clone wars and stuff that had come before there's just it, this just felt so much like the star wars that i grew up loving Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I really dug it. For me, it's right up there with the New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I really, I really dug it. I, you know, last year with the Force Awakens, um, and Christian, I'd love. We're not going to do it now, but I'd love to have a discussion with you about the Force Awakens because I did not have that emotional reaction uh, to the Force Awakens that I, and I wanted it so badly. Uh, when I went to see The Force Awakens a second time last year, it was primarily my hope going in was I hope I can love this movie. I wanted to love it so bad. When I went to see Rogue One a second time uh, the other day, it was like, oh, I can't wait to watch this movie again. Had I been able to to stand in the back of the theater to watch the next showing after we watched on Thursday night, I would have. That's how much I enjoyed um enjoyed this movie i i just was blown away by it and there are some little nuances i think that did it for me i i think 
my my biggest problem with the force awakens outside of that bird at the beginning um that the reject from the tiki room steve uh, hates the steel pecker the steel pecker as it were <laughs> i hate the name too by the way um but I think that I was so acutely aware of the lack of George Lucas. I, I, as, yeah. as much as Abrams tried to maintain the visual language of, of Star Wars, there were, some, there were some areas where the subtlety escaped him, I think. And I think that Gareth Edwards and company found that subtlety and, and, it, and just painted with a brush the way that George Lucas was able to. You, you mentioned the used future christian and and i think that was definitely there particularly like one thing that pops to mind when you say that is the scene in the big juggernaut tank when they're busting her out of prison yes you know yeah it it was it was something we've never seen before and so so very cool so very cool um erish i I do want to ask you this Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things we talked about was the music i hated it and do you still Yes. I've come around on it. No. I've come around I, on I don't, it. I don't think I'm ever going to come around on it. Okay. It just... And, and the reason why I don't like it is, to me, it feels like it's going out of its way to not sound like Star Wars music. Mm. Hmm. And it that just drives me crazy. And the, 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 the two glaring examples to me are the title card that comes up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want at least a hint of Star Wars in that. Uh, this is a Star Wars movie. I don't. I I know that Lucasfilm like kind of went out of their way to to make sure that as a standalone movie, this wasn't going to get confused with the saga movies. But I'm sorry, this leads directly into a New Hope. This is part of the saga. It all is. It's all one big Star Wars movie. Um. So the music there and then when the two star destroyers collide into each other and you get that that big music crescendo moment and it's not Star Wars. Uh. <laughs> and I just oh just uh. I really I've seen a lot of people loving the music mm-hmm. on Twitter and stuff yeah. like that, you know. Bless them. It, it, just, for me, I'm sorry, it does yeah. not work and I'm never going to like it. I definitely, I really do love the music. I, I, I have to say, I have to say, I feel like that, like the the Imperial theme and Krennic's theme, you know, do feel very Star Wars to me. Uh, but but I can see what you're saying at the same time. It's just it's hard to get used to um, someone other than John Williams writing a Star Wars movie score. And but we have gotten used to it because we had the Clone Wars. Yeah, and Kevin Schreiner. Yeah, which was uniquely its own yet still distinctly star wars and we have rebels which is uniquely its own and still distinctly star wars you can do this you know yeah. and we've we've had this with the superman movies where they you know you work in little hints of the classic theme that we know and i just wanted i wanted more of those little hints worked in especially in key moments they could have done more of that. I mean, also think about uh, Creed last year and how the the Rocky theme oh. comes in. At a, uh, it just made Steve swoon. Oh, man. <laughs> that 12th round, man. That 12th round. Oh, it's so good. I love that. One of my favorite movies of last year, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I feel like that 
Um, I mean, part of me is just that I, I, I kind of have kind of am of the belief that Michael Giacchino could do no wrong because I love all his Pixar work and I love his work on the Star Trek films and I liked his Doctor Strange score and uh, but uh, but it, it's interesting you know initially he initially it was going to be Alexander Desplat who um, was going to score this film and he had been attached to it for a long time and I was much more skeptical about um, him being attached because, you know, he had done like the last few Harry Potter films and all, I mean, which were kind of, to me, the ultimate and let's get away from iconic musical motifs, you know, that had been established earlier. And, uh, and so I thought, ah, oh, I don't know. I hope that Lucasfilm isn't going to go in that direction. So Giacchino felt like a step in the right direction to me, but at the same time, I think he only had like two months to write the score. So it it came together very quickly. Maybe maybe some all of the, the more reason he still he should have just taken John's. Yeah, I, I just tweaked that. it a little bit. Well, I'll tell you, I I Eric, and we talked about it, and I said it felt to me like when you see a video game or or something like that where they can't really fully get the license, or really more than that, like a parody, like a Spaceballs, mm-hmm. or like when a cartoon is doing a Star Wars type, you know, uh, take on their on their characters. And they can't get the rights to the music, and so they do Star Wars sounding music, um, particularly with that Rogue One theme as it as it swelled up. And I and I really felt that way. But then my second time through, I really found myself warming to it. And then uh, getting the getting the soundtrack, I, I found myself warming even more because there are places where he dips into the Rebels theme and the Force theme and. Uh, and the Imperial March and, and different things in, in a very deft way. And Christian, you're right. He he didn't have much time. And Eric, maybe he should have leaned a little more heavily on on John Williams. But uh, you know, I hope that he's not disqualified from getting another shot at the Star Wars universe because I really think he has the chops to be able to pull it off. I, I think. I, I, look, I I don't think I think I'm very much in the minority mm-hmm. on this opinion. So. Uh, in regards to him getting another shot, I think certainly. I mean, he is one of the preeminent uh, composers right now for for movies. So, yeah, it just, uh, you know, unfortunately for me, it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, Christian, did you have a favorite uh, character or two coming away from this thing? Oh, so many. I'd I got to tell you, I I love Jyn Erso. Mm-hmm. I, I think Felicity Jones is such an incredible actress and someone who knows how to do so much with with so little. Really, that mm-hmm. she can't. You know, it's it's a very understated character in a way. You know, she this is a character who's had who's been on the run for much of her life. She's been forged by the horrors of war and she knows that she has to really keep what she's feeling inside and so by default this is a character that has to be very subtle that has to be that has to but it has to also have a real internal life and you have to really get a lot just from you know just from her eyes or mm-hmm. from just a very minute change in her expression because she's not going to be the most emotive person um so I thought that you know just the way that she handled that, you know, playing a very subtle character and, um, you know, in circumstances that are just so extreme was was kind of amazing. But I love Diego Luna as well. I think he brings like kind of like an Errol Flynn, 
uh, charisma to this movie. He's dashing. He's romantic. He's like such an awesome kind of um, of action hero. And and the whole ensemble. I mean, really, I I, yeah. I think it's kind of note perfect. I I it's it's like I can't really think of anyone that I don't like here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing is like there was no one in that group that ever got on my nerves or that I was like, I don't want to spend any more time with this person. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed spending spending time with all of them. Uh, Eris, did you have a favorite character to come away from this? No, I, I kind of agree with what Christian just said in that I, I like the whole ensemble. And, you know, when I was reading the manuscript earlier this year, it, it was like every other chapter I had a new favorite character. Hmm. And that continued when I saw the movie. You know, I, I, I love Jin. I think she is a fantastic character. I love Cassian Andor. I, I, I like that. The thing I really dig about him, I love his little speech at the end where he's like, you know, we've all done things. Mm-hmm. We've all done things that we felt like we had to do, you know, for the sake of the rebellion. And that he is not like this squeaky clean, like, you know, perfect guy. He has done some bad things, but, you know, I just, I don't know. There's something about them. Plus, I love that coat of his, too, that blue coat that he wears. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't $500 Columbia love it, but I love that coat. <laughs> um, well, let me. And, 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 and K2SO yes. like, brought just the right amount of comedy to it. Uh, Chira Imwe, how can you not love Chira Imwe? Just the smile that Donnie Yen would get on his face, like when you know when Jin would say, "May the Force be with you, with us," and he just like that, oh, that that contented smile on mm-hmm. his face, mm-hmm. and I uh, just yeah, I loved all of them. And then on on the bad guy side, I guess we'll we'll get to this in a minute. I freaking loved seeing Tarkin on the screen. Again. Oh, so cool. The, it, that was, and, and, and my friend Derek and I have talked about this, that that moment was reminiscent of old school movie magic, where it's like, mm-hmm. how did they do that? Yeah. And it's been so long, for me at least, going to the movies where I have a how did they do that moment. And when he turned around and, and he's full on there, I'm like, how did that? I was, I was sitting there. Now, how did they do that? Is there an actor stand in? Is he fully painted in? What what's going on here? And you know, and the and the voice is, you know, that I couldn't find any any real problems with the voice, you know. And I'm just like, this is pretty fascinating. I will say it, it has definitely been controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are quite a few uh, film critics who haven't liked uh, the. Uh, reanimation of Peter Cushing, if you will, for for Tarkin, but I think it's it's also interesting. I noticed, so I saw it the first time in two D, and the second time in three D. He actually looks much better in three D. Um, I I found uh, the second time I watched it in in three D, I completely bought in that that was just Tarkin. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about any. I wasn't thinking at all like, oh my god, how do they do that, or how's this you know happening? Is this is a CGI character, or whatever. Um, I think it's 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 a pretty amazing thing, and um, maybe should they have cut like a scene or so with him just to like kind of preserve the wow factor a little bit and not make it. No, they should have added scenes. <laughs> I wanted more. Was uh, well, let me let me ask you, let me because I had an emailer uh, on a previous episode who said the same thing you did, Christian that. Uh, they like Tarkin better in 3D than 2D. Um, 
and 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 you feel like maybe cut it back to and Eric, you say more. Um, I, I think Tarkin's one of those things we all kind of felt was coming. Yeah. You know, leading into this thing, there were whispers and rumors. Eric, obviously, mm-hmm. you knew you didn't know what he was going to look like and everything, but but you knew he was he was in the story. Eric, I'm I'm in- honestly when they first announced that Ben Mendelsohn was cast in the movie, I thought he was going to be playing Tarkin. Oh wow, yeah, I could see that. A little bit of prosthetics. Completely. Yeah, um, I'm curious though, Eric. What was there any? things any of the stuff that they threw in because obviously there are easter eggs and stuff that aren't going to be described in a in a novel or you know that sort of thing was there anything they 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 threw in that was a surprise to you um yes uh i knew about red five Mm -hmm. um because that was in the novel but uh Red Leader and Gold Leader. Yes. I was hoping that would be absolutely surprised when I saw them and I was giddy as like a little schoolboy on Christmas morning. Like I was like oh I'm just like like pounding like the armrest like, Oh my god, it's freaking gold leader <laughs> like just going nuts. I loved that. Loved it. Yeah, I I, I was so shocked. And just blown away at, at that touch, you know. I, I and, and such a clever use of of some deleted footage, especially of Red Leader, mm-hmm. um, to to be put in there. I, I just I was so I'm glad that that was a surprise to you because like that's the moment I think that apparently Christian. I don't know if you've heard this, but apparently even at the press, you know, not the press screen, but the world premiere, um, that was a moment where it got a lot of cheers when oh. Red Leader and Gold Leader show up, and that's the moment that Gareth was the most concerned that he was too married to that he shouldn't have put in and was just really excited when everyone got it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, apparently, so I, I wasn't at the premiere in, in L.A., but when that occurred, just the, yeah, the the audience reception was just through the roof. And, you know, at, at premieres in general, there there can be usually an elevated level of excitement um, compared to say, if you're just going to like a critic screening, uh, you know, sometime later. But uh, but I think everyone was saying, you know, everyone I knew who ha- who did go to it, that it was just about like one of the most positive reactions to a movie they they've mm-hmm. ever experienced at a premiere. Like a- everybody was like giving it a standing ovation afterward. It was just so the crowd was so pumped up. And and it, 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 the word of mouth on this movie is going to be incredible. You know, it just debuted to 155 million dollars at the box office this weekend that's really strong and uh, you know i don't think it's going to dip that much over the holidays neither do i i think i mean assassin's creed is the big release this week and i i just i don't see it doing that well no sing sing might drive into it a little bit because that's the kind of thing that the families will go see but I think it's got I think it's got a pretty good run of you know three four weeks at the top of the box office. Well, now let, I want to get back to some of the character discussion real quick. Um, mm-hmm. Eric, am I am I off base because I feel like they really did a great job of 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 skirting a line with Jenner. So because the her type character, the hardened, uh, maybe a little bit bitter. Um, you know, roughshod kind of kind of character can tend to be overdone. You know, and, and even from the even from the previews, what I was expecting out of Jen Urso was this. You know, don't care about anyone. Don't have. You know, I'm not worried about a thing. You know, but 
she and, and Christian, you talked about a little bit as well that she really came across as vulnerable in some ways, but not so vulnerable either that it's like uh, incapable. Like the, I felt like they really did a great job writing that character and 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 keeping from going too far one way or the other, so that when she does make the turn to to go after those plans, regardless of her motivations, it's not a stretch. Completely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that she is so well developed. And of course, partly, you know, my, my experience of watching the movie was interesting because, you know, I had read the tie-in novel Catalyst. Yes. Uh, yes. Leading up to it. And so I was keeping a lot of that in mind throughout, throughout the, the experience of watching it. And, um, and I have to say, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing just how consistent the Galen and, Le- and Lyra of the film are and the Krennic of the film are to what, what was depicted in, in the book. But with Jin, of course, she was, you know, a big question mark because she was just a, a little girl in, um, in the novel. So, yeah, I feel like that she's really given an arc in this film. I mean, it's kind of, you know, is she a little cynical? Is she a little out for her own? Sure. And, and um, Cassian Andor has that great moment like, well, you know, you, you say that you can just leave the war behind. Well, not all of us have had that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a real luxury. He's basically telling her to check her privilege in a sense. <laughs> oh, um, oh, no. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, it's so, but it's like, you can't really blame her for feeling that way because of course the war has touched her life and you know, it has, you know, had a horribly negative effect. And Mm -hmm. so you want her to just go off and be happy. You know, you don't, you know, you don't want her to have to sacrifice herself. Um, but the fact that then she does is just so, um, so, so moving. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Alex Freed's novelization of Rogue One, because in a novel you can get inside the characters' heads a little bit more, so you do see a little bit more of the vulnerability mm-hmm. uh, behind her, and you know some of the, you know the, that that scene where she sees the hologram of her father and just like drops to her knees. Yeah. There's there's a little bit more in the novel that kind of leads into that. Um, and just, you know, some of the, the pain and doubt and, and, and worry and stuff that she's been carrying with her for so long. I'm so excited for that because Alexander Freed's novel, uh, Battlefront, yeah. Light Squadron was, uh, Twilight Company was my, just about one of my favorite of the new canon Star Wars novels. He's such a good writer. And to see what he's going to do with Rogue One and getting into that military aesthetic again, that's very exciting. Well, it, it'll the book is probably sitting on your desk in the office right now. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be waiting for you when you get back. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, and it looks, I, I saw a tweet earlier of someone uh, tweeting a display of it, and the book looks, I mean, the, the just the look of it is beautiful our it's, our interior designer uh liz eno who's been uh she did catalyst as well she's uh really brought a great new aesthetic to it um a lot more dynamic designs we're really excited about what she's been doing um and yeah the book looks gorgeous yeah it it i'll tell you what just and if you pick it up at barnes and noble 
the BNN edition has a bonus eight-page color photo section oh, nice. in it. Nice. Well, it looks it looks fantastic. It looks great. I want to talk about Chirrut and Bays. Um, yeah. For a minute, guys. I want to talk about particularly um, Chirrut's devotion to the Force. Erish, how much of how much was Chirrut using the Force, and how much was the Force using Chirrut? Mm, what do you mean by the Force using Chirrut? Well, if you go back to A New Hope, when Luke is talking to Ben on the on the Millennium Falcon, um, you know he says he asks Ben, he says, "Do you mean it controls your actions?" And Ben says, "Partially, but it also obeys your commands." That that I feel like right. Chirrut, I feel like that maybe Chirrut, because of his faith in the Force, was opening himself to be not necessarily use the Force the way a Jedi would, but rather be guided and directed and used by the Force to to accomplish. I could see that. Certainly, when you see him in the the, the couple action sequences where, that he's in, where he's dodging blaster bolts and things like that, you kind of get the sense that you know the Force is the force is kind of kind of puppet mastering him a mm-hmm. bit if you will um yeah i think it's probably a little bit of both you know because of his faith in the force that allows him to be open to guidance from the force yeah yeah i i just i really christian one of the things that i took away from bays and, and cheered especially is that you know one of the one of the selling point I don't know if it was a selling point, but one of the things they were talking a lot about leading into the promotion of this film, as far back as, you know, the celebration where they put out the whole uh, uh, teaser motion poster that they did the, there, was that this is a Star Wars story with no Jedi. And what happens when there's no Jedi? Well, when you get to... Um, <clears throat> when you get to this movie, yeah, there's no Jedi, but I really felt like the Force was all over this thing. Oh, yeah. And and I felt like it was a return to uh, a spiritual look at the Force um, that we haven't really had since the original trilogy. Yeah, that's 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 really well put because I feel like that even though there are no Jedi in this film, the, as you said, the Force is everywhere, and it in a way then it it, it the spiritual dimension comes to the fore even more because you're not seeing the Force used in such. Uh, demonstrative ways. You're actually it. Ha- it has to obviously be more subtle because you don't have major force users around. So it, suddenly, it's like the force is something that you have to believe in again. It's not something that you just see. It's something that you have to really believe in in order to think that it's playing a role in your life. Um, and I think just that element of belief that comes into the film mm-hmm. with Lyra Urso at the very beginning, Jin's mother giving her the the crystal and saying, um, you know, the force will be with you, you know, right from the beginning, uh, we know that this is someone who believes in the force and believes in the, the role that it plays in, in, in people's lives and, uh, and true in way as well. Uh, you know, he obviously has some connection to the force. It's maybe a little bit more even than what most people have, but, um, and of course he is revealed, uh, I don't know if you want to get too far into the spoilery, but he is revealed, of course, to be uh, a member of the Wills. Or yeah, oh, definitely. We won't. We we're, this is spoiler all the way. 
Okay, let's yeah. do this. All yeah. right. So he's revealed to be a guardian of the wills, which goes all the way back to like the early mid. Goes back to the original draft where the original this was draft that George Lucas came up with for Star Wars. Um, and you know, it was, it, remember that original draft it was called like. Uh, the, uh, the Journal of the Wheels, book the, one, The Adventures of Luke Skywalker, wasn't it? Something, something amazing. That yeah. 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 And and that we actually now see a will. Um, we finally get a sense of who they are and what they're about. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I think there is a spirit. There is a very much a spiritual heart to this movie uh, because it, it's it's about believing in things that you can't see. And well. And, yeah. and, and with with uh, Bayes, like I, I got the sense from him that at one point he was a believer, you know, that he walked the same path as Chirrut. And somewhere along the way, for whatever reason, and I hope one day we get to see what that reason is, is he lost his faith. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of been, you know, he's stuck with Chirrut because, you know, of the bond that the two of them have, but he's not the believer anymore that Chirrut is until the very end. Yeah. Well, until Chirrut dies in his arms and, you know, and after what he saw him just do going out there and activating that, um, that communication lever, which is in the most awkward and (laughs) inopportune place that like no engineer would ever put that there. And, and it doesn't <sighs> even have that. It's like role. let let's put the communication relay control right in the middle of the beach, in the middle of everything, and it's just a little lever. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think the idea is that, but make, it made for a fantastic sequence. So yeah, like, but you know, it's just I don't care. This is amazing. Like leave it there. Here, well, when it comes to Bayes, you know, Chirrut even says at one point in the movie that you were you were once one of the greatest of us. You know, he was once one of the most faithful. I feel like it was the purge. I feel like it was Order sixty six and the rise of the dark side that shook his faith. Yeah, you know, I feel like that's what what caused him to lose faith in in everything, and and it's his friendship with Chirrut that just keeps him around. Mm-hmm. Um, I I both of those guys I absolutely absolutely love, but yeah, that scene with Chirrut. Now, were you were either of you disappointed that he didn't use his mind to do it, Christian? Mm-hmm. Uh, n- not particularly because I feel like, like as that- in like you know using the the, the force right. to like move the lever right kinetically. I don't know that he has that ability. Yeah. Well, I don't either, and I know, but I've just uh, there have been discussions I've had with people that are like, you know, I was kind of hoping he you know use the force to actually move the lever, and and I was fine with the, I like the way it happened. I think it went down the way it was supposed to because. Even if Cheer could have found that ability in him, I think that he was content with just being a servant of the Force. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. I think if he uses his mind to move the lever, now we're we're pushing him into the the, the category more of Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. And, and and by him having to walk out there, it's more of a spiritual thing. Yeah. You know, it it, it it's kind of. Is sort of like a force miracle, if mm-hmm. you will. Yes, yes. He's you know, and, 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 and his abilities yes. earlier in the film, you know, that that I took back to more of, uh, you know, he's just trained his whole life, and he's like, 
you know, it, it's sort of the daredevil thing where, you know, he's lost his sight. So his other senses are more attuned and, and zeroed in. Mm-hmm. And while there is, there is most likely some force channeling through him. It's also just his experience and the training that I assumed he's put into this and, and just the, the heightened senses that he has that allowed him to, you know, that fight sequence with the stormtroopers and, you know, shooting down the TIE fighter and stuff, that that wasn't necessarily like Jedi abilities that was allowing him to do that. Right. I Yeah, that's that's the sense I got as well. Um, well, we've only got a few more minutes before we need to really wrap it up because we're all on the East Coast and it's getting late for every single all one of us. All right, we need to talk about Vader. That's, what I'm, that's where I'm headed right now. Uh, Darth Vader, uh, Erish, go. <laughs> All right. Possibly the most epic scene in all of the Star Wars movies. The back to tank? The back to tank. The back to tank was cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But <laughs> you know what we're talking about, the, the corridor scene. Mm-hmm. It was just holy shnikes. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that was just epic. Well, the shot, the one shot of the dark lighting up with his lightsaber, you know, like he's just not there. And then the lightsaber and it's like, oh, my gosh, it it was it was so cool to see and then so brutal to behold. Christian Darth Vader thoughts. I I loved it, especially the second time. I'd Mm -hmm. say I I thought that the sequence itself, even the first time I saw it it was was great. But the first time I saw it, I did think that maybe it was in the wrong order that I thought that maybe that should somehow come before the moment where uh, Jan and Cassian die when they let mm-hmm. the Death Star blast yeah. overwhelm them because, I mean, there's nothing else they can do. Uh, just because I was so invested in them mm-hmm. as characters that I, I felt like I needed an extra moment to, like, really linger with them and feel their sacrifice. And I just – it was hard for me to let go of them and that immediately get into the badassery of, of Vader. Um, but the second time I saw it, it you know, I, knowing that that was coming, I, I enjoyed it a lot more because it obviously does just link up so seamlessly with the beginning of Episode Four. Oh. Um, that it, it's it, just for that alone, it's kind of hard to quibble with it. But um, but it's just I guess it's just so so many emotions I'm feeling at the end there. Um, yes. Yes. And it's a testament to how how well this movie really invests you in in the new characters in Jen and Cassian. That, like for me, I really just wanted to kind of linger with them a little bit more, even 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 above uh, seeing Vader mm-hmm. at his most epic. Agreed. And you know, it's a testament to the studio. I read an article today. I forget where it was at, but um, where Gareth Edwards basically said when he when they were when he was working on it with Witta and everyone was originally writing it. They wrote with the intention to keep the characters alive because they thought that's what the studio would want. Yeah. And when they get in a meeting with Kathleen Kennedy and and the story group and the studio all agreed, yeah, these characters have to die. Yeah, because yeah. they don't show up in anything else. Right. And yeah. it was just and, and and so, you know, kudos to Disney. Not that I'm all about dark and 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 traumatic movies and everything but you got to give props to lucasfilm and disney for and i and maybe that's the other thing that to me seems a bit lucasian about this if i can use that term 
is that George Lucas always told his stories. Star Wars, those first six movies, were just independent films, basically. Yeah. Right. And, and with the control that he had, George Lucas told his stories regardless of what anyone thought they should be. And fans have had a hard time dealing with that. And fans had, you know, didn't, you know, fans who hated the prequels just could not deal with this being the story that the creator wanted to tell. And George Lucas just forged ahead and said, this is how I'm going to tell the story. And I feel like with the kind of ending that we got, uh, as much as some people may say the Vader sequence was fanboy service, that they told the story they originally wanted to tell. And the studio allowed them to do it. And it felt very much like a George Lucas film, like the heart, like it just felt, I felt almost the presence of George Lucas in this thing. And that's one of the reasons I responded so well to it. On the topic of Vader, however, I got to know what you guys think about this. Uh, the guy's name, I believe, is Vinay. And he is Vader's attache, his Bib Fortuna, if you He's will. He's going to be Snoke. He, no, no, that's not my Snoke theory. I got to know if this guy's... That's my new Snoke theory. <laughs> I figured it would be. Vader's butler is going to be Snoke. I figured it would be. We got an email I saying as much. I love that dude. <laughs> Vader's <laughs> butler. My question is, is it an honor for him to be doing that, or is it a punishment? Oh, that's actually a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's the well, redhead. Obviously, he takes some punishment because look at what Snoke looks like. Yeah, yeah. I feel like later. I feel like he's the redheaded kid from Tatooine that was like, "It's never going to run." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, it's it's Kitster or, uh, or well, we know Wald is a rodian. But That's yeah, it's right. One of, it's one of his one yeah. of his uh, one of his friends. Of one of the naysayers. No, he let Kitster go on about his business. He was like. Uh, if you, if you, if you, Kidster, you're cool. If you, buddy, you're coming with me. Um, I did, I did love that whole Vader castle sequence, though. Oh my god! I, I just thought it was so cool from the the back to tank mm-hmm. and the castle itself. And yeah, Vader coming out and just like, be careful not to choke on your aspirations. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was a pun. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. The one thing that I'm really curious about is why they didn't put the Mustafar title card up on oh. it. You know, because they did it for like every other planet they went to. Mm-hmm. Why not do it for that one? And we know it's Mustafar because Pablo has confirmed that it was. Yeah. Oh, he has. Yes, yeah, it's definitely Mustafar. So why why are you leaving that off? I think I think it's because we know what that planet is. I think that that's the intent. Mm, actually, that's not that's a good idea. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because I I'd heard some people say that they thought it was Mustafar when uh, when I first saw it, but then. Especially watching it the second time, it, it looks so different from yes. the Mustafar we see in Revenge of the Sith. Yep. That second, well, maybe it's just another planet altogether. But I, I said it's probably happening at one of the poles because it seems to be a lot cooler there, even though the lava is still flowing. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lot more solid ground, um, you know. But it's a big planet. He's not necessarily there at the refining factories or anything. Right. But I mean, how long? How many years have we heard about Vader's castle? You know, it goes. It goes all the way back to Empire. Yeah. Em, no, Jedi. Is it Jedi? Jedi? They were doing designs for Vader's cast. Yes. So it's. I mean, you know, and it was just so. There was so much that was cool. You know, you mentioned Chirrut and and Bays being guardians of the wheels, and I just wonder, and and uh, you know, is that going to be something that's fleshed out, or or was that just there for us? You know, I mean, is is that 
just there for those of us who know what yeah. that is and where it comes from. Because anytime, anytime anyone has tried to touch on the wheels, it always is uh, just kind of come and gone very quietly, you know, and, um, and that's intriguing. But yeah, Vader's castle was another one of those things that I felt like was there for us. Um, guys, I got to give a little shout out to the very guardians of the galaxy esque planet that Cassian meets his contact on mm-hmm. the first time we see Cassian. You know that little out that like outpost. Yeah, yeah. I forget the name of it, but wasn't that like totally something out of Guardians of the Galaxy? It's yeah, I guess it did. Yeah, I guess it did because it's um, it, it I guess the the all the people bustling around and everything. Is and that just the to? look of it, like mm-hmm. sort of this like you know kind of Oreoed like outpost oh, yeah, 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 between yeah. these two like asteroid yes, pieces or yes. whatever. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. I want to see more stuff like that in Star was Wars. Was that no? I well, that was that. That wasn't Wenobi, where Jen was. No, no, it was. Uh, it was the first time we see Kazi. Right, he meets right. that the contact that he winds up shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the name of the place because Wenobi yeah. was where Jen was in prison. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember this other, but I yeah, it was. I, I dug it. I really dug this whole. I dug everything about it. Uh, we got to wrap this thing up, uh, Christian. Any final thoughts or anything we missed that you want to touch on before we uh, before we close her down? Uh, I just you know I think it is this movie is such a treat for the fans. Even just like what you mentioned earlier briefly about the the juggernauts appearing at the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah. You know? I mean that's like something that goes back to like my essential guide to vehicles and vessels yes. from like 1994 seeing the juggernaut in there and then we actually did get to see it on the big screen in revenge of the sith at the battle of kashyyyk which mm-hmm. was so cool and then now to actually see it again here and get that sense like you know those kind of vehicles that were in the clone wars aren't just going to fade away completely they're still going to be around to some extent and so just like all those little touches like that um initially i have to say i, I was holding out hope in uh, that Jin's cellmate. Uh, I, I, for some reason, watching that trailer originally way back when, I really thought it was going to be a Toydarian. And I was really hoping... <laughs> no. Part of me was hoping that it would be Watto. Oh, and wow. I, I thought that would be like such an amazing way to like <laughs> give some resolution to that character, which would be a very different tone to strike. Or how awesome would it have been if it was Hondo? Oh, my oh God. Oh, my that gosh. Been yes. I know. Yes. Oh, um, You've got to let me out of here with you. Because, <laughs> I mean, Hondo is such a survivor. I mean, you know, he would have some trick up his sleeve there. But, yeah, I, I loved it. I think it's a fantastic film, and I can't wait to see it many more times. Yeah. Irish? Hope. Hmm. Yeah. Leia looked uh, yeah. good, too, by the way, guys. They, they did a fantastic job on recreating yeah. young Leia. I just, oh, yeah. I, everything, I just, I love this movie so much. It just this was Star Wars to me. It just like the whole way through it was Star Wars. Yeah. Great characters, great action. Like I just really dug it. Like the whole and, and you know, at the end when, when Leia turns around and says hope when I, the, my Friday night crowd, the whole place just erupted. We're we're so pumped. Yeah, there were some applause. There were some splatterings of applause in the crowd I was in too for that. Erish, we have one technical question that people are wondering if you can answer. Um, 
in the chat because there, mm-hmm. there was a ship on Scarif that was like a drop ship for the Death Troopers. It wasn't Krennic shuttle. It was. Uh, it looked to be shaped kind of like the Tie Strikers, but the the body was different. Do oh you... yeah, yeah. There was a fat, mm-hmm. a fat body Tie Striker. Do you know what that's it called? Like a transport. I don't. Okay. All right. I don't. I, I, honestly, I can't. I can't wait to get my hands on the Visual Dictionary. I'm sure that it's in there. Yeah. It's available on Amazon right now for 18 bucks. Amazon Prime. Use the Amazon links at uh, Geek Out Online and GeekOutPodcast.com, guys, to pick that up. Uh, Christian, once again, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure having you on. May the force be with you, gentlemen. And you as well. Eric's always good to talk to you, brother. May the force of others be with you. Yes. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. Put me down. I love to groove and boogie.